the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 602-508-0960-602-5089-60. As we head into hour two, you're stretching, getting ready for the big dance tonight? Yeah? Uh, how else are you going to berate me today? Do, do we have, do we, we sh- yeah, we should have Steve Miller's dance, 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 don't we? Come on. Let's check. Yeah, let's check. Come on and dance. Also a great song. Um let me uh, yeah it should be um there was resist i know i know my cynical conscience jiminy cricket over here to the right bill he's not a steve miller fan but we are so we should have it oh it's not in there can you add it please yeah uh swing town is one of them and the other one is dance 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 i'm going to swing town tonight yeah please let's add those by the way this uh by the way this this fascination with Meghan and Harry, the Sussexes here in America, now that they live here. Did you see this story that um, she put out a statement, Meghan Markle did, about having been in a uh, two-hour relentless car pursuit that put her and her husband in a catastrophic car chase due to high, uh, due, due to a um, due to a highly aggressive paparazzi? Did you see that statement? We were involved in a near-catastrophic car chase at the hands of a ring of highly aggressive paparazzi, a two-hour car chase through Midtown New York. The story unraveled almost as quickly as it was reported, and it was reported everywhere. Why the fascination with them? It's not healthy. We focus on the frivolous, I guess, as a distraction so that we don't focus too much on the critical in this society. But it's also this unhealthy view. I don't I, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I do get pushback on it. This unhealthy view about how we esteem the British royalty. It's 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 not who we are. I mean we just we we don't believe in the governance by blood any more than we believe in the governance by the divine right of kings and theocracy. Our whole founding was the antithesis and the upsetting of that notion. We're the first country in the history of the world to declare its independence on the freedom and equality of all people, not blood, not divine right of kings. And yet we seem to have this uh, this fetish still that we can't get over about them, and particularly a, lousy, a pretty lousy family to have a fetish over. I mean, I don't find any redeeming qualities— in any of them, not a one, not a single one of them. And the two worst may be the ones who they exported or we imported here. And anyway, um, if, if you haven't seen the story, it's, it's, it's all over the New York media because it was an attack on, you know, New York and the transportation and the people and that sort of thing there. Also, you know, if you don't want paparazzi, Quit 
putting yourself out to the media for these self-serving interviews so much and making of yourself such a spectacle. If you don't want cameras, don't make of yourself a spectacle. Should be a pretty common sense rule. Now, speaking of a spectacle, I don't know if you um if you caught the story. I brought it up in my uh I brought it up in my uh in in my um monologue yesterday with the LA Dodgers and giving their annual community hero award at Pride Night, which they have next month to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Um, Sisters, that is to say, nuns who have names you wouldn't allow me to say over these airwaves. They were being given an award for promoting human rights and respect for diversity and spiritual enlightenment. That's what the award says. The motto for that group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, is go forth and sin some more. And the vice president of marketing for the Dodgers announced that the Dodgers, quote, the Dodgers are thrilled to be giving this award because the Dodgers have always championed diversity and inclusion as core values. I don't know how pornography and obscenity is the kind of diversity and core values that baseball, Los Angeles, the Dodgers, or anything calling itself religious, Catholic, or nuns would want anything to do with. And so there was a great pushback against it from Catholic organizations. And um, thank goodness the Dodgers have now taken back the award. They've created of themselves a spectacle for this, and they're going to be criticized. And I'm sure meetings were held and debates were had and memos were written as to whether they should nix this anti-Catholic transgender nunnery from their award. But as the Washington Examiner is is reporting, uh, the Dodgers put out a statement saying, quote, this year, as part of a full night of programming, we invited a number of groups to join us. We are now aware that our inclusion of one group in particular, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, in this year's Pride Night has been the source of some controversy. Given the strong feelings of people who have been offended by the Sisters' inclusion and in an effort not to distract from the great benefits that we have seen over the years of Pride Night, we will be removing them from this year's group of honorees. How did it ever get to the giving and granting of them in the first place? Well, it goes a little bit back to what I was saying earlier about governance by staff. You know, we're not getting Diane Feinstein. We're not getting John Fetterman. We're getting their staff. Their staff are writing their memos. These people are are not able to actually proofread and consent to them. They're probably not even able to decide how to vote without the aid and assistance or the telling them of how to vote by their staff. It was staffers at the Dodgers who thought, let's bring in this gross group because there is no envelope we won't push. There is no diversity with any or of any limit. And when they were announcing the award, here's the funny thing. 
when they announced the award, when the Dodgers was saying they were proud, the Dodgers are thrilled, that was the statement, to be giving the award to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The vice president for marketing put his name on that statement, his name and his title. Now that they are retracting it, I guess because there's a sense of shame of sorts, it's a generic statement attributed just to the Dodgers organization, not the vice president of marketing and not his name. Now, he probably wrote it, or one of his staffers probably wrote it. But, you know, we're just, whether it's a government institution or a cultural institution, uh, we have let, we absolutely have let the inmates take over the asylum. Whether it's an education institution, like at San Francisco State, where Riley Gaines was assaulted and put under false arrest. Unlike Stanford Law School, which apologized to the federal judge they invited and put in fear of his life where he had to evacuate the campus. Unlike that situation where Stanford Law fired or at least suspended their dean of diversity who let that take place and tried to defend the students who were throwing verbal brickbats at him, unlike Stanford, San Francisco has uh, doubled down and coddled and encouraged and defended the students who abused Riley Gaines. Now, again, though, remember what this is tolerated about. In each of these instances, actually, now that I think about it, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's Riley Gaines, or whether it was the judge at Stanford, each of it had to do with the most absurd and asinine notion in the world. Transgender rights. That's what it was all, in every one of these cases... The fact that there is so much violence attending this stuff, maybe that should be a cue to something. The fact that you can insult and assault one of the greatest and largest religions in the world by defaming it with a group that defames it and makes fun of it and putting the gloss of the baseball league or the Dodgers behind it, maybe you think twice about doing it. Do they ever think twice? Do they ever take a step back? Do they ever reflect on what it is they're saying, standing for, doing, rewarding, consenting to, and countenancing? Do they ever? Do they ever take a moment of pause? Or are all the moral and physical guardrails just gone? Nice. I like it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for doing that. New regime here. Appreciate it. Did you see Joe Biden canceled his uh, canceled his trip to uh, Papua New Guinea? Did you see that? You know what that made me think of, David? You'll appreciate this because you you always wear these great political pins except today because you're going out tonight and you wouldn't want it weighing you down or whatever. Um, what do they make those pins out of? Do you know what I thought of with Papua New Guinea? What do you think of 
when you think of politics, politicians, the Republican Party? Oh, uh, Nelson Rockefeller's son. There you go. Yes, I do know this one. Did you know it or did I teach it to you? I knew it. I knew it. I've read his biography. Do you want to tell the audience what happened? Uh, well, his son, uh, Michael. mysteriously, yes, Michael Rockefeller, uh, disappeared on an island. He was doing some some humanitarian, I almost want to say missionary work, and he was on a canoe and, and just... It sort of disappeared. They never found a body, and uh, he was cannibalized. Even, well, uh, th- you know, we are. That's what they said. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was cannibalized. He was eaten by cannibals, perhaps by one of the people that he was trying to missionary to. Yeah. Well, maybe. By the way, can I go back to that issue of staff? Whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's Fetterman staff, whether it's Diane Feinstein's. By the way, they're aided and abetted by the media. On the John Fetterman thing, this is this is an incredible scandal, and no one will care about it, and nothing will be done because we don't care about truth anymore. From Fox News, Democratic Senator John Fetterman suffered a stroke a year ago, and questions about his health have remained at the forefront as he has struggled through Senate hearings due to speaking and cognitive issues. Yesterday, we played that audio of his that you know, would have embarrassed Gabby Johnson in Blazing Saddles. But let me go back to the story of Fox. The Pennsylvania senator's office has repeatedly slammed critics for drawing attention to the issues and maintains he is fine. Meanwhile, they have quietly doctored his comments to make him sound more coherent as he grasps with recovery. The issue, they've doctored his comments. Okay, the staff is doctoring his comments. The issue exploded on Wednesday, yesterday, when Jeff Stein, a Washington Post reporter, admitted to printing a misquote Fetterman's office provided him, which had significantly altered Fetterman's actual statements. They took that 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 word salad of his, that mental breakdown of verbosity. And they cleaned it up and made it coherent and sent it to the Washington Post. And the Washington Post just printed it as the staff wrote it, not as John Fetterman said it. Why? So that we can think everything is just fine here. So that we all think everything is just fine. And again, I remind you, the one reporter from NBC who blew the whistle on this during the campaign, she, the truth teller, was the one the media went after. The truth teller. Ronald Reagan used to love to quote from C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, the greatest evil is not done now in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It is not even done in concentration camps and labor camps. In those, we see its final result, but it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried, and minuted in clear, carpeted, warmed, and well-lit offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voice. Speaking of not quiet men, David, your microphone was on during the whole adjustment there. It was. Yeah. yeah. I noticed it. I okay. turned it off, yes. <laughs> okay. I love it. You're fun, man. You're fun. I hope you do have fun tonight. I really hope you do. Anyway, this notion... Um, this notion of how something gets so far along the lines of giving a community award to a group like a group whose motto is we're, the, we're, we're for the promotion of sin. Go forth and sin some more. Never mind that they do it under the cover of calling themselves nuns. Never mind that they do it. Have you seen pictures of these people? You know what they look like? Uh, yeah, yes, they look like that face you just made. They, 
They look like the Wicked Witch in, in, in The Wizard of Oz. Deliberately. I mean, they look macabre. You've seen it. It's, it's, it's really a gross movement. It's a gross movement meant to desecrate the Catholic Church. That is what it is meant to do. Why else would you mimic and thus mock it? And thank God, thank God there are Catholic civil rights groups that pushed back on this and shamed them into doing the right thing. I, I, I knew that would happen because we know Bill Donahue and people like that, but I thought it was even money whether the L.A. Dodgers would back down or not. I wasn't sure if they would. I'm glad they did in one respect. But I'm going to tell you something. They're going to get a lot of pushback for backing down. They're going to get a lot of pushback because you don't realize how – I wish I could say a word I'm not going to and I can't and wouldn't. But you don't realize how outrageously anti-civilizational and anti-societal the word used once upon a time might have been avant-garde, how pushing of the envelope the culture in California is, and particularly places like where the Dodgers are in Los Angeles. Oh, it's just as true of San Francisco, probably more true in San Francisco, but equally so in Los Angeles. These people who have day jobs, some of them, these people who have apartments and homes— and cars, they look little different than the chronically homeless on the streets of Los Angeles and San Francisco. They dress and comport themselves deliberately to look just like them because they act just like them and they want to normalize it. They want to normalize the profane. They want to normalize the profane. That's what they are doing. And profane's probably the exactly right word in this context. But I, So the Dodgers, because of that community there, they're going to get pushback. I'm surprised they backed down. I'm glad they did. I hope they stand strong. I hope they continue to send the message. But, you know, this is what you expect and this is what you invite when you start going down the road of doing this thing in the very first place. Bud Light learned it the hard way. Some companies haven't. Some companies haven't learned it. Do you see Adidas? you see what Adidas did with their new line of swimsuits and models? Yeah. Yeah. Because of their commitment to LGBTQ plus rights, they now have a swimsuit and a swimsuit model who um, is, in a, is, in a, is in a onesie bikini, a one-piece bikini, but um, doesn't look quite right below the waist, if you know what I mean. They don't, they don't learn. We need to make them learn. How do we make them learn? By we continue to teach. That's what we'll do. We'll continue to teach.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It is an honor and privilege to bring back a longtime friend and uh, colleague, Dr. John Walters, John P. Walters. He is the president and CEO of the Hudson Institute. He was also the director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, uh, known also colloquially as the drug czar. And he had an incredibly important piece in the New York Post this week. We know marijuana is linked to mental illness. So what are we doing? Dr. Walters, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Uh, thank you, Seth. Uh, one correction, though. Um, I, I, I'd love to be a doctor, but I'm not. So uh, just John. fine. I, all right. How about the honorable? Can I do that? Uh, that's, uh, that's fine. The uh, Senate gave you the up. honorable. <laughs> okay. Well, I, all right. Let that be my only mistake. I apologized. Okay. No problem. <laughs> uh, John, interesting timing on your piece. We know marijuana is linked to mental illness, and it's based on some new research that um, just came uh, just came out with regard to uh, a study on schizophrenia in, um, in Denmark. It's incredibly interesting to me, too, that we are beginning to see op-eds in other places not only saying much the same thing. I noticed uh, an op-ed in the New York Times yesterday is 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 the situation becoming so obvious that it's inescapable and unavoidable at this point, or is there still some resistance to the understanding that marijuana damages teen and adolescent brains? Well, it's always been obvious that the the, the ability to deny it for whatever reasons of uh, personal preference or just politics and culture has been shockingly stubborn. I mean, look, look in most cities. In the United States, certainly in New York City, which I visit periodically, um, you walk down the street and literally you smell marijuana all the time. Yeah. And uh, in most cities, you're now walking over people who are in a state of addiction from various. Now it's poly drug use, but you know um, marijuana plays a role in that uh, that terrible downward spiral. And um, and now we're at this. In- in America, the inhumane state of we we watch people slowly kill themselves on the street and walk by them every day and walk over them every day as we go to work or as we go out. It's just it's it, we're dehumanizing ourselves as we dehumanize a victim. Uh, that's a good way to put it, and de- and de- and dehumanize entire neighborhoods and increasingly communities. One of the interesting aspects that I've wrestled with for years, not as long as you have, but you will know certainly the same phenomenon, is that in trying to point this out, um, maybe maybe what's taking place in New York, maybe what's taking place in San Francisco and other cities is able to demonstrate that which we have been trying to communicate with them for many years now, because a lot of people have the sense that marijuana isn't that big of a deal and that people like you and me are just really uptight. What they are now beginning to see with their own two eyes is that the social, there, is a, there is a level of social destruction that bears out what we have been trying to point out, where you know the actual has proven the theoretical, as an old friend of ours likes to say. Yeah, or facts don't go away because you don't like them. Yeah, uh, you know, and and um, the the, uh, the 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 over a hundred years there's been research on the connection between uh, marijuana or cannabis use and mental illness in a variety of forms and in a variety of forms. The neuro the, the THC uh, is a is a neurotoxin, and that's part of the reason it makes you high, but it also does 
uh, does uh, destructive things to the human brain. And we're kind of having a math experiment on how destructive, because we've increased the potency, as you know, and we've mass marketed it now. I mean, there was there's a story out today from the largest drug workplace tester, Quest Diagnostics, you probably saw, yep. where one in 20 workers are, are using marijuana in the yep. workplace. Now, um, that's just the people who are in a workplace where there is drug testing. That's right. So th- that has to be a undercount of the actual magnitude of the problem. But how can we expect a workforce? How do we expect family well-being? How do we expect community well-being to be maintained and not decline radically in that kind of environment? It's just, it's kind of mind-boggling when you see what's happening. Everybody's had personal experience and fam- with family and friends. Uh, with the problems of addiction, not only marijuana, but the movement to other substances in this poly drug use environment. So, um, you can, and also the other thing that's happening here is the normal institutions and, 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 and systems in society to protect us from dangers have all been suppressed. They haven't cleared this. They haven't said marijuana is a good thing. They've all been suppressed. The, the, uh, the, the, the kind of bureaucracy that usually the left especially loves to keep us protected and safe. They've all been told to shut up and sit down while everybody uses marijuana to their detriment. So um, this is just a, um, you know, a series of, er- of unforced errors that is, being, that is devastating. Let me uh, take a quick commercial break on that point and come back and talk about some of the other errors people have made in their assessments of marijuana and its connection to polydrug use. John Walters is my guest. He is the former director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy. John P. Walters is my guest. He is the president at the Hudson Institute, president and CEO. Hudson.org is their website. We're talking about um, his uh, very important piece in the New York Post this week. We know marijuana is linked to mental illness, so what are we doing? He is also uh, our nation's former drug czar. Uh, John, if I might, you know, um, a very interesting phenomenon, a series of phenomena are taking place with a youth mental health crisis that everyone seems to now be getting their hands and heads around and beginning to understand uh, at least the volume, at least the size of it, at least at least the, um, the, um, the, 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 the impact of it. And at the same time, we're seeing increasing violence uh, from teen and adolescents, including, sadly, uh, mass shootings and school shootings. Alyssa Finley over at the Wall Street Journal a few months back was pointing out the connection to a lot of these mass shooting incidents and that these mass shooters in their talk screens or in their history were regular and frequent marijuana users. I try and talk about that. I try and sped, spread that story around because now we have these links to, as you pointed out, schizophrenia and other mental uh, disorders and disorientations. And people still think, how, how can this be? Marijuana is nothing more than something that puts you on the couch and makes you want to order a pizza and snack on Doritos. This is another thing that this new high potency and frequency of its use has led to, though. Teen mental health issues, teen mental health um, uh, uh, emergency department admissions, and, in fact, violence. Yes? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Again, there's over 100 years of research linking cannabis use to serious mental illness, not only schizophrenia, 
but violence and uh, and and various kinds of of impulse control problems, uh, as well as research showing that uh, there's a detrimental and lasting effect on IQ that's been more recent. Yeah. So there, all the evidence and the more recent the real research evidence, the more harms and the and the more extensive the harm. Look, the system of uh, of of, of, of action that marijuana has on the brain and on the human um, psyche is 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 has been studied a long time, but we're learning more about it. And what we learn as we learn more about it, this is a sophisticated uh, part of our uh, of our uh, brain, and it and it is it is especially dangerous to start uh, disrupting and, and perhaps permanently changing it with regard to adolescence and pre-adolescence where a lot of this is now starting. So we're, we are, we see in the news reports of kind of unbelievable and spontaneous violence by people on yeah. the streets, right. in the stores, in the family, and so forth. Yeah. Did I, did I lose you there, John? It's an addiction that end, uh, ends up uh, destroying people's lives. I'm sorry. No, we just cut out for a minute, but we're good. Yeah, we're okay. Um, well, there's... There's an increasing connection, too, to marijuana that I think is important that we get right when we talk about this as well. We just got a new report out of the CDC, another year, another increase in drug poisoning deaths in this country. And a lot of this, of course, you know, due to fentanyl uh, poisonings. And every story I read, every single story I read about a fentanyl death um, that happens with a teen, adolescent, or young adult. The parent, the family, the friends, they talk about the trajectory of that person's life and use of drugs, always starting with marijuana. I'm not saying marijuana leads to fentanyl. I'm just saying that it is increasingly unavoidable to see that fentanyl is the end of the road for um, based on the initial use of marijuana. Yeah, I think that's true, but I also think that... that um you know, there, there's been for a long time. There's been, there's been data showing that, especially with adolescents, uh, beginning with uh, marijuana, because it, because society told people it was safe. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it. It's part of the youth culture. It's part of you know becoming uh, you know uh, more experimental in your in your teen years. It became the entry point, and then as people became more involved, not everybody, but many of them. They ended up being involved with, with more uh, substances. And, and so not only is marijuana bad, in some ways it's the most dangerous because it's the least resistant, yeah. but the, the, the turn to polydrug use and experimentation for the purposes of you know, chemical escape or chemical recreation or chemical self-expression, I mean, it takes both those who are vulnerable and those who are the, you know, who want to be, we think that the path to creativity or to being a risk taker is also involves these kinds of behaviors. So it takes the best, it takes the vulnerable, it takes the most uh, uh, unprotected in our society. This is doing devastating things, both the marijuana use and the polydrug use, to the child welfare system. Yes. I sit on this group in D.C. have child welfare policy. The horrific things that are happening to children, that the child welfare system it's changing its rules because it can't cope with this. Yeah. So it's making children stay with dangerous uh, guardian situations because uh, it doesn't want to resist these yeah. things. And it doesn't want to face the fact that, that families are not capable of 
caring for their own children. So we are doing, this is not a short-term thing. This is just, we're doing damage that's going to last for generations to the brains, to the experiences, to the futures of America. John, last question, if I might. You know, um, the, 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 the analysis you can give us on how this administration is tackling this. We have uh, use like never before. We have drug poisoning deaths like never before. Um, you know, I, I follow this stuff pretty closely. I can't even tell you if we have a drug czar anymore. How do you score this administration's uh, handling of the situation? What happened beginning with Obama was an overt, they made it clear, changing drug policy. No more drug war. We are going to focus on harm reduction. We're not going to arrest people at the border. We're not. Our jails and prisons are too full of people who allegedly are there for nonviolent drug use offenses, which was not true. But that was the that was the political environment. The, the drug war was over. They said it openly. They began with that in the Obama administration, uh, despite Joe Biden's connection to enforcement and, uh, and policing before, which all of which he's now ap- apologized for. And and they, they took apart the systems that protected Americans from these poisons, you know, attacking the, the, the uh, organizations, the cartels overseas, and in protecting our borders, and in enforcing the law against major trafficking organizations at home. And they said they were going to just, they were going to treat their way out of this with Obamacare and handing out uh, uh, addiction or overdose reversal drugs like naloxone. Well, the fact of the matter is that is demonstrably a catastrophe. When you hear harm reduction, think suicide, because that's what's happened in these cases. And they, this is the, the, the stubbornness for political reasons of continuing with this bad policy is causing hundreds of thousands of deaths, 100,000 deaths again uh, last year. Again, to give that some context, that is more people dying every year in America from the poisoning of drugs than died in, in the greatest year of loss of Americans during the Second World War. It's a 9 um, 11 a week. It's a September 11th a week. Just, yeah. Just, and then say this is the best we can do, or we're going to need to hand out. Everybody's got to be carrying around addiction reversal drugs because. Because we, we're not going to actually, we're not going to be able to treat people because they can't stop the poison. You've got to stop the poison. Well said. Yeah, no, and the Narcan, well, I mean, it's the ambulance at the end of the car crash. John Walters, as always, thank you very much. Keep writing, keep coming back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We'll have Sam Stone joining us in just a few moments. Um, yeah, uh, I went went through it fast with John, but um, it uh, we just got the new data from the CDC, and uh, it's another it's another year of data that comes in showing that uh, drug poisoning deaths uh, increased in uh, 2022 from 2021. Um, if there are a lot of headlines about it, I'll be surprised. And if there are stories about it, I know what they'll say. I can tell you right now. They'll say, well, the increase wasn't as high as it was in previous years. The increase has slowed. Folks, it's still an increase. Think about that. A September 11th every single week. Think about the Wolverine Stadium at the University of Michigan. That should give you a sense of of the scale of 
what we're talking about here, or at least what some of us are talking about here, it would be a little helpful if the people who are in charge of our health departments, people who are in charge of our administration, if they would talk about it, if they would say something about it. John Walters is right. They're all about cleaning up the mess after the fact. What we know, what we know with forest fires, what we know with littering, what we know with smoking, what we know with drunk driving, is that prevention works. But it only works if it's promoted. We're not promoting it. Not as a government, not as a society. So instead, we're engaging not just in death, but in carnage. Mass death and mass carnage. It's a very sad story. And the saddest thing about it is it doesn't have to be this way. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 